0: for us today so that we could know God. This is his strategy. This is God's plan so that you could know the truth and the truth could set you free. The truth could change your life. So if tonight you wonder Can I know the truth? Can I have access to the truth? The answer is yes if you will crack the pages of the book that God wrote and you will open your ears and humble your heart to receive communication from your creator. You can know God and you can know the truth if you will know God's word in the Bible, if you will know the scriptures. So maybe you're asking and you should be asking right now, How can the Bible change my life? You may think, as was illustrated in that video, you may think to yourself that the Bible is old and irrelevant. That the Bible was written by people thousands of years ago and there is no possible way that it has bearing on my life right now. And my singular goal tonight is to change your mind about that. I want to convince you, I want to show you that the Bible can change your life. And I wanna show you three ways that it can do that. What would it take for you to have your life changed by the truth of the Bible? I wanna give you three things, three ways the Bible changes my life. We'll unpack them this way. The Bible changes my life when, and these are the three ways. Here's the first one. The Bible changes my life when I know who it's about the Bible changes my life when I know who it's about. You see, we've got lots of different ideas, and our culture and our world has lots of different opinions and conclusions about what this book is about. In fact, a lot of people look at it and they dismiss it as a long list of rules that I could never keep and I don't wanna keep anyways. And don't we hate rules? Everyone kind of hates rules, like we don't want to obey them, we're naturally rebellious. So when we think of this as just a big list of rules, we're like, yeah, chuck that out, I don't want anything to do with it. Or we think of it as a fairy tale. We think of it like Harry Potter, something that might have, you know, a good moral to the story, but probably never actually happened. They're all fabricated tales, so what does it have to do with my real life? Or we think about it as just like a book of heroes, that we can sort of emulate and try really hard to be like. But I'm here to tell you tonight that if you believe that the Bible is any of those things, it will not change your life the way that it could. In fact, you need to know tonight that the Bible is actually not about a what, the Bible is about a who. And if you want the Bible, if you want the scriptures, if you want the truth to change your life, you need to know who the Bible is about. And I'm here to tell you that the Bible, the whole Bible, every word on every page is about one person. It's about Jesus. The entire Bible is about Jesus. It was written over a a span of about 1,500 years by about 40 different authors in, in a huge geographical region and every single word on every single page is all about one person about the word who became flesh and dwelt among us, Jesus Christ. It's all about him. All 39 books in the Old Testament were written anticipating the arrival of Jesus, and all 27 books in the New Testament were written to understand the life and the ministry and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and to apply them to the life and the birth of the church that Jesus began. All 66 books are about this one person about Jesus, and this whole week what we're doing is we're unpacking this concept of absolute truth through the gospel of John. And in John chapter one, in fact, we're going to pick up right where we left off these two ideas of the anticipation of Jesus and the arrival of Jesus. These two ideas, they meet powerfully in John chapter one. And I want to show it to you. It'll be on the screen. John chapter one, verse 19 says this, and this is the testimony of John. Now, Not John, the one who the gospel is named after. This is John the Baptist. I call him J the B. This is J the B. When the Jews sent priests and Levites, these are religious experts. They sent them from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? John the Baptist was a man who came preaching. He came with a very powerful ministry. And so these religious leaders wanted to know who he was. Verse 20 says, he confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. That word means Messiah, the long awaited savior. Verse 21, and they asked him, what are you then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, who are you? we need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now, why does this matter? Because all of the questions that the religious leaders are asking John the Baptist and all of the answers that he gives All of them swirl around this anticipation that the religious leaders had of a messianic figure, of a savior that would come to rescue them. This is why they ask, hey, are you the Christ? And he says, nope. Are you Elijah? Nope, not him either. Are you the prophet? Are you the one who is to come? You see, the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew Bible that they had read all of their lives taught them that they were to anticipate a savior who was to come a Messiah, a Christ, a King, a ruler, a servant from God who would come to rescue them from their sin. And they come to John the Baptist because he was teaching in power and doing ministry with all kinds of miracles. And they said, Hey, are you, are you the guy that the Bible has taught us is coming? And he says, it's not me. In fact, we're not going to dig into it, but all of John's ministry, all of John the Baptist's ministry was about pointing to the one that they were to anticipate pointing to Jesus. Now, many of the religious leaders, they missed Jesus altogether. In fact, all the way through the gospel of John, these spiritual authorities, these religious leaders are standing face to face with the one that they were taught to anticipate, and they miss him completely. They're oblivious to his identity as God in the flesh and the savior of the world and the son of God. And yet also all through the gospel of John, we see people who don't miss Jesus, they receive him. They see him, they recognize him, and they know him for exactly who he is. And later on in chapter one, we meet one of them. Really early on when Jesus is calling his disciples, his name is Philip. Look at John chapter one, verse 43. It says this. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, because you are not an 11-year-old, 12-year-old, 13-year-old that was raised in the nation of Israel, most likely, because you don't come from a Jewish background, probably those words don't land on you the way they would have landed on somebody who did grow up in that environment. Because what he's saying is cataclysmic. What he's saying is revolutionary. It is over the top, shocking and amazing. Jesus goes and he calls Philip. He says, follow me. And Philip goes to Nathaniel, goes to his friend, and he says to him, we have found, and look at what it says, it's on the screen there. We have found him whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote. Now, Moses and the prophets, this was a way for someone in the nation of Israel to basically say the entire Bible. It was two of the broadest divisions that they had for the kinds of writing in the Old Testament. Moses is the, what's called the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, and the prophets and the writings is the rest of the Old Testament. And so Philip goes to Nathanael and he says to Nathaniel, you will not believe it the one that Moses and the prophets talked about, the the seed of Abraham who will crush the serpent's head, the son of David who will reign on his throne forever, the ultimate prophet, priest, and king, the sacrifice, the one who is to come, the Christ, the Messiah, the one who Moses and the prophets wrote about, he's here and his name is Jesus and he's the son of Joseph and he was born in Nazareth. I found him. This is, this is like earth shattering for them that the one that the Bible had taught them to anticipate had arrived. He was here. Philip gets it right. The entire Bible, the entire Old Testament points forward to Jesus Christ and the entire New Testament points backwards to Jesus Christ. He is at the center as the revelation of what God intended to get to us by giving us the Bible. Sometimes when you are young, and even sometimes when you're old, but I'm dealing with this right now as a parent, sometimes when you're a little kid, you often interact with objects and you totally misunderstand their purpose and their function. So right now, uh, big deal in our house, we are really trying hard to teach our son Jude that his fork is not a hammer. (laughs) Because at every single meal, he's going full on Bob the Builder on the table and he's just like, with his fork. And I'm trying to teach him like, hey, if you use it to poke food and put it in your mouth, instead of trying to beat up the table, it will actually do what it was designed to do. He, he also thinks that like every window that he can get his hands on is a napkin. He wants to like wipe his face on it and leave greasy stains all over it. He thinks the remote control is like a popsicle. He just does apparently not understand the proper function And sometimes we do this with the Bible. We look at the Bible and we think, like we said earlier, it's just a list of rules. So why would I want to read a long list of rules? Answer, I wouldn't. We think of it as a story of of all the heroes that we can be like. Like you need to be like David, so just be courageous and go pick up your stones and slay your giants. But we actually find that frustrating because we can't be like the heroes in the Bible. We find ourselves actually like the bad parts of their story, very weak. We misunderstand the function of the Bible when we treat it as anything except the revelation of one person. Because here's the deal, a list of rules cannot save your soul. A book of tales about heroes cannot change your life. But good news, the Bible is all about a person who left heaven and came to earth for the express purpose of changing your life. And so when you read the Bible that is all about Jesus, you have an opportunity to meet the person who is in the business of changing lives. If you want to receive God's strategy to get the truth to change your life, you have to know who the Bible is about. The Bible changes my life when I know who it's about. Second, second way the Bible can change your life. If you want it to change your life this week and beyond, you need to pursue these ways. The Bible changes my life when I know who it's about, and number two, when I see where it's from. When I see where it's from. You can tell a lot about something when you find out where it is from. Do you know this? This is why advertisers advertise things like Italian leather, Swiss watches, Belgian chocolate. Holla at the Belgian chocolate, right? This is, why, this is why we put those geographical designations at the front of products. Because you, you can learn a lot about something when you know where it's from. How about this one? Home cooking. Anybody on board with home cooking? The reason we love home cooking is because we know where it came from right? There's a huge difference. When I was, when I was a little kid, my, uh, my, my nena, my grandma on my dad's side was straight up Italian, like came from Italy. And she had this incredible homemade pasta sauce recipe. And it was like chef's kiss, delectable, amazing, ridiculously over the top, incredible sauce. And she made it, and she taught, my mom how, she, taught my, she taught my mom how to make it, and my mom has now taught my wife how to make it, and I am still eating this sauce today. It's like one of the greatest privileges of my life. But when I was a little kid, I went to Boy Scout camp. I went to Boy Scout camp. You did too. Holla at your boy. And I went to Boy Scout camp, and one day at Boy Scout camp, they said to me, hey, uh, we're having spaghetti for dinner. And my point of reference for spaghetti was my Italian nena's homemade sauce. And I was like, yes, this is awesome. I love spaghetti. I can't wait for dinner tonight. And I showed up to the mess hall. And instead of being greeted by the delicious smell of my nena's pasta sauce, I saw a vat of SpaghettiOs. Boo does not even begin to cover the extent of my emotions in that moment. Like, disgust is too weak a word for what I felt at that moment. SpaghettiOs are like barely edible. It's like radioactive sludge in a can. They are awful. They're so bad. Now, now listen. Listen to me. You can tell a lot about something if you know where it came from. And spaghetti that comes from a can does not hold a candle to homemade Italian nena's recipe pasta sauce. You know what I'm saying? Thank you. Now listen. If we want to know about the Bible, if you want to know what the Bible is like, you would do well to know where the Bible is came from. Where did it come from? Because you can learn a lot about something when you know where it came from, and what the Bible says about itself is that it came from God. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 20. It says, no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation." for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what the Bible says about itself, that every word on every page was inspired by the Holy Spirit, who is God himself. That word carried along. It means that the Holy Spirit was like the wind in the sails of the men who put pen to paper to write the books that make up the Bible. It means. That all of the men who wrote the Bible, they were writing with their own intellect, with their own vocabulary, with their own experiences, with their own desires. They were not like robots in a factory controlled by someone or something else, and yet they were moved along. They were superintended by the ministry of the Holy Spirit so that every single word that they wrote was exactly what God intended his people to receive. That my friends is called the doctrine of inspiration that the bible finds its source ultimately in god god wrote the bible so it is right that we can say this with second timothy chapter 3 and verse 16 it says this all scripture is breathed out by god All scripture is breathed out by God. You see, the words on these pages, they are not the ramblings of some crazy old religious fanatics. They are not the opinions of old dead guys. The words on the pages of this book are the very voice of God. That's what inspiration means. It means God spoke, and we hold in our hands the words that resulted. And so maybe, maybe, just maybe, you have never really had any sort of relationship to the Bible at all. Maybe you have thought to yourself, it's too hard for me to understand, or it's too irrelevant to my life in the modern world. I grew up with the internet and the social media age, and the Bible doesn't have anything to say about that, so I'm not going to read it. If you think this is just some old religious book, it is no wonder that you don't pick up your Bibles. It's no wonder that if you own one, it gathers dust on your shelf from week to week, and maybe you pick it up once on Sunday to go to church, if you go to church, but I promise you that if today you would agree with what the Bible says about itself and you would believe that the Bible is communication from the living God of the universe to you, you would be infinitely more likely to pick it up, to open it up, to open your ears and to humble your heart and to hear and receive the word of God so that you could listen and obey and your life could be changed. This is the very word of God and it has the power to change. It can introduce you to the savior of the world, Jesus Christ, and it can transform your soul from the inside out. And if you don't believe me, just ask the millions of Christians for thousands of years who have had their lives completely renovated from the inside out because they opened this book. It's the Bible and it will change your life. In fact, it's God's strategy to have the truth change your life. Here's the third and final way. The Bible changes my life when number three, I experience what it does. This is how the Bible will change your life. When you know who it's about, when you see where it's from, and number three, when you experience what it does. Because you might be thinking right now, like, yeah, okay, preacher man, that sounds fine. I believe it's from God, but what can it actually do in my life? What can it actually accomplish for me? It sounds good in theory, but what about in practice? What does this look like? Well, I wanna put 2 Timothy 3 back on the screen and I wanna show you four things that the Bible can do in your life and then we're gonna go. All scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable. That means it, it turns a profit. It's good for something. It can actually do something in your life. And then Paul, who wrote this letter to Timothy a long time ago, he told him four things that it was good to do. It is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. I wanna show you four things that the Bible is good for. You can see them right there, and I'm gonna rephrase them maybe so they make some sense to you. The Bible's good for these four things. They'll be on the screen. This is what the Bible can do. It schools me, it scolds me, it straightens me, and it shapes me. This is what the Bible is good for. It's good for schooling me first. Here is is something amazing about the Bible. The Bible contains clear answers to life's most important questions. Do you remember this morning we talked about the most important questions that everyone everywhere for all time has asked? Questions like, is there a God? And if so, what is he like? Questions like, what is the meaning of my life? Why do I exist and why does everything exist? Questions like, what is wrong with the world and how can we fix it? The Bible answers those questions for you and it gives you clear answers about the most important questions the Bible teaches you. It gives you information about God, about you, and about the world. It shows you what to believe. It's good for schooling me. Number two, it's good for scolding me. Now you might think that doesn't sound very pleasant and oftentimes it is not and yet we need it. The Bible is like a mirror that helps to show you your own weaknesses and that is a very good thing. I know most of you don't drive but one day you will and when you are driving, the day will come that a a tone will ding and a light will flash on your dashboard, it's called a check engine light. And every person who has ever seen that light has felt their heart sink and has felt their wallet shrink as they anticipate the bill from the mechanic to fix their car. Now listen, it, it kinda hurts to see that check engine light, but guess what? If the check engine light never comes on and you keep driving, you will blow up your car and you can forget about a costly mechanic bill, your car will be ruined and you won't have one anymore. The Bible is like a spiritual check engine light for you so you can see the areas that you have blind spots and weaknesses and sin, areas that you need to grow. And despite the fact that it is painful to receive that information, it is necessary. It is necessary for you to be able to grow. That's what the Bible means by reproof. But it doesn't leave you there. It's also good for correction, which I've said it's good for straightening me. The Bible, you see, it shows you where you're wrong, but it also tells you how you can get right. The Bible corrects us. This is so helpful. God provides us instruction and encouragement. He doesn't just expose us in order to shame us. He reveals our sin to us and then gives us the grace that we need to grow to be more like him and to walk in accordance with what he commands. It's straightening me. And then last, it's shaping me. The Bible trains me like a parent trains a child or a coach trains an athlete. The Bible trains me and it can train you to be like God, to be righteous, to be holy, to be pure. The Bible can teach you to live like Jesus. The Bible is good for training in righteousness. This is what the Bible is good for. And maybe you look at this list and you think, I don't know if I could do it. I don't know if that's what I need and I'm just here to tell you tonight that this is what all of us desperately need. We need to know who God is. We need to know who we are. We need to know how we can be changed and how we can grow to be like God and the Bible tells us all those things. The Bible is God's strategy to have the truth change our lives. Anyone ever seen a giant stone statue? Anyone ever seen a big stone statue? You think of like the famous David that was carved out by Michelangelo. Is that true? Was it Michelangelo? Yep. Thank you. Whenever you see, listen, I'm, I'm done right here. Whenever you see a giant stone statue, you need to know that at one point that was a giant block of undefined rock. And what an artist did is carefully and creatively, they chiseled away at that block of rock until it resembled the vision that they had in their mind and in their heart. And the Bible is like a chisel in God's hand to make you what he intends you to be. The Bible is God's instrument to transform your life because it introduces you to Jesus who is the only one who can save your soul and then it provides you everything that you need to live on the mission that God has called you to and equipped you for. And my hope and my prayer is that as we move through the rest of this week in the gospel of John, I am praying that God will use his word like a chisel to chunk away the things in your life that don't need to be there to reveal himself to you. And I'm praying that God would use this book to change your life both now and forever. He's done it for me. And I know for all of your counselors, he's done it for them and he can do it for you. Let's depend on him, and let's open our ears and our hearts to trust him to do it. Let's pray. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much. We are so thankful that you are not a God who hides from us. You are a God who speaks to us. You are not interested in obscuring yourself so that we have to work hard to discover who you are. You are a God who breathed out words by the ministry of your spirit, and they landed on a page so we could open the book and read it and know you. And God, I pray that your word would come alive to us this week. God, you say amazing things about your word, and I pray this week as we study it together, we would see them come to pass that we would feel them come alive in our hearts. You say, God, that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. You say that if we receive with meekness the implanted word, it is able to save our souls. You say, God, that the grass withers and the flower fades, but your word will stand forever You say that your word is more valuable than gold, and it is sweeter than honey, and it is how you warn us and reward us. And so, God, I pray that this week we would not live by bread alone, but we would live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And I pray that you would use your word to transform our souls, to introduce us to Jesus, and to change our lives forever. We depend on you entirely to do it. We trust that you want to, and we believe that you can, and so we ask that we would get the pleasure and the privilege of seeing it, and we pray that it would all be for your glory and in the name of your great son, Jesus. Can you say amen? Amen.